How's everybody doing this morning? You doing good? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Give them just a moment here. Craig, you can tickle the ivory just for a second if you'd like and then let me pray. I, I kind of like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody else gets the ivory tickled behind them and then I get up and it just, you know, goes down. It's like, man, how come Clay's so bad at this? It's because I don't have the jams behind me. So, yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get into this sermon before I do. I just, uh, I don't know, I was kind of, as we were worshiping this morning, I'm like, Jeremy, I got a little bit messed up. I feel like, um, I don't know if you experienced just the Lord dealing with your heart about anything, but I kind of was just overwhelmed with the goodness and the mercy of God. And, you know, sometimes, uh, I, don't, I don't know, you get caught up in life, but, but sometimes the Lord will visit you and he'll remind you of where he's bought, brought you from, what he's done in your life. Maybe even you get in ministry or you got family going on or you got work and you've got a million different responsibilities and burdens. And as you're carrying those, it kind of weighs you down from seeing the bigger, broader picture of the goodness of God and what he's done in your life. And it's just like this morning, just being overwhelmed with his mercy. One of the things I felt like he was saying, and maybe this will resonate with somebody, maybe it won't, but... But, you know, no matter what mistake you have made, you cannot make a mistake big enough for God to reject you. And some of you need to hear that because you've made mistakes recently and it makes you feel like somehow God's rejected you or he won't receive you. But I'm telling you, he wants to pour such love on you and for you to experience his mercy in such a way. Sometimes I come with so many weaknesses. I'll be here on a Sunday morning. I thank God. I don't even know how I can stand up this morning and speak. With the, with the things that are going on in my mind and heart. And he'll just overwhelm me once again and remind me of the power of his blood, what he has done in my life, where he's brought me from, the fact that he has forgiven us of our sins and put them away and given us new life and given us his spirit. And we, 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 we have inherited this kingdom that he's going to offer us, this eternal life. What a gift. So I don't, I don't know if you sense that this morning, but for some of you, I just want you to know, and I think the Holy Spirit wants you to know that God is not done with you yet. And he, he is not going to forsake the work of his hands, and you are the work of his hands. And, and even when we struggle, even when we have great weaknesses, his mercy and his love is far greater. Amen. Amen. There's a guy... I was meditating this week on a guy, there's a guy named Richard Baxter. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was in the 1700s. He was a Puritan. Because I think about sometimes, I've been studying about, Lord, how, do, how am I going to get through this long term? How can I sustain myself? And that's kind of what I've been preaching about. We preached last week about um, discouragement and overcoming discouragement and working through that. And, and how do I grow spiritually to know to grow long term and to not get burnt out with what God's calling me to do because sometimes life is difficult but Richard Baxter was a guy he had dozens of health ailments but in England in the 1700s he was called to this particular city and he was so sick he had so many difficulties so many challenges he was sent to this city he ends up basically evangelizing the entire city in his weaknesses, in his ailments, in his frailty, and all of these things. And whenever they talked to him about what was his secret, he said, well, you know, I spend 30 minutes to an hour a day simply meditating on heaven. He said, I spend 30 minutes to an hour a day meditating on where this is all going and where this is going to end up. 
He says, I've got my eyes fixed and my gaze fixed on the eternal reward. And every day that sustains me and that strengthens me to go the extra mile no matter what challenges I face. Amen. So I just want to pray for us this morning as we get ready to open up the word. But why don't you just bow your heads with me. And Lord, we just, we just come to you this morning. You know the challenges that we all face. And Lord, we just want to take a moment. Your word says that one day, God, when this is all said and done, that the righteous, your children, the righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And Lord God, that is going to be a day of rejoicing that we could never even imagine. And we've got challenges, we have brokenness, we have burdens, we have responsibilities that oftentimes we are overwhelmed with. But God, never let us forget your mercy and your grace toward us, God, that you came to us in our darkness and you brought us up out of that miry pit, Lord God, and you cleansed us in your blood and you gave us your forgiveness and you put your spirit on the inside of us, God, and you have promised us an inheritance, God, a kingdom, and you've given us eternal life. So Lord, I pray that by the power of the Spirit this morning, you would strengthen each person and give them a godly resolve to do exactly what it is that you have called them to do and Lord God if there's one person in here this morning that that seems like maybe in their heart they're guilty they're filled with shame or maybe they've even been rejected by you God you declare over them that you have not forsaken the works of your hands and you will complete the work that you've started in them Lord God and they stand forgiven and you have a new path for them so Lord Jesus we come to you this morning and we ask you to do your work in our heart in Jesus name amen amen all right thank you Craig I mean unless you want to do it for the rest of the sermon a lot better I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 through 13 and and as you if you've got a Bible you're turning there uh, as you turn there I just want to reiterate what Jeremy said thank you all so much for being generous and I I love the fact one of the things that I love is that a lot of times because you all give faithfully Whenever we, whenever we want to give a, a, a large sum or amount to support a church planner or to give to somebody here in local missions or even support a single mother that's struggling, whenever we, we, we don't have to take up, we don't have to receive another offering to do that because you guys are faithful at giving and we're able to do that. And that's one of the best parts about this ministry is being able to help people like that. So, so we appreciate your giving. Like he said, some of that's going to go to what we're doing here, advancing the church, but some of it's going to go to some local ministries here. And we'll let you know more about that as well. But thank you so much for being generous in that area. So this morning, this is like part two. If you weren't here last week, uh, this is part two. I'm going to kind of uh, reiterate some things that I spoke about last week, but I'm going to speak about the challenges we face and the people we become. And I want to begin in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 through 13. Here's what it says. It says, These things happen to them. Now Paul has taken a moment. He's talked about examples in the Old Testament. He's talked about Moses coming across the Red Sea, the children of Israel in the wilderness, the times that they tempted the Lord, and all of these situations that they went through. And he said, These things happen to them as examples... And were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. 
Now that's one of the that's one of honestly the greater promises of God. Like that's one that you can lean on, knowing that when you're going through temptation and trial, that God is for you. He says He's not going to allow you to go through a temptation that one is not common to man. Whatever you're going through on some level, guess what? Not only is somebody else in the world going through it, but He said we actually have all of the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God allowed these things to happen to men who are just like you and I. Even though we said like like what last week. Like Elijah, it seems like they got a superhero mark on their chest, but they're still just men and women like you and I that went through things. And he says these were written for our, for our examples and our instruction and even our warning upon whom the ends of the world have come. So he's saying you can go back to these things and look at these situations and you can draw from them. And for me, i got to be honest with you, over the past month, this is more or less like a message that God has been speaking to me these, these last two. And so I'm giving them to you because God is causing me to go back and look at these men and women throughout Scripture to give me some examples and to show me how do I navigate the life and the ministry that God has called me into. But there's something that's interesting about even this word temptation. And I've, I've shared this with you before because when you read that most of y'all think about temptation in terms of some something like coming on the screen or you're going to look at porn or this or that that is temptation yes but it's much deeper than that the word temptation is a greek word parazzo it can also mean testing and the definition of it is this it is a set of circumstances that comes into your life to reveal the truth about who you are amen so how many of you get, you get in pressure situations, you are tempted, you are tested, you go through a trial, hard times come, pressure is on your life, and then all of a sudden you actually find out who you really are because what is on the inside comes out. Can y'all amen me this morning? Discouragement comes out. Anger comes out. Frustration comes out. You start to recognize your weaknesses. You start to cry out to the Lord and say, man, I don't know if I can move on. And sometimes, actually, when we're tested to a degree where we feel like we can't make it, rather than believing this promise, we actually turn to temptations that Satan offers us to try to numb some of the hardships that we are dealing with. And so I want to talk about how do we navigate these difficult challenges that we face, but there's a guy uh, a lot of people in 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 the church world today or even in psychology have been be talking about becoming a non-anxious presence and so there's this dude i'm gonna go through a few different little slides here and i want you to this is kind of like some teaching so if you got your notepad out you can you can mark it down if not just uh, memorize it amen uh, so Edward Friedman, he, he has this little slide here that I want to put up, and he says this is what's happening in our world today if you pay attention. Like, our world is in an anxious, a cycle of anxiety that is worse than it's ever been. He says we are the most emotionally unstable people in the history of the world. Anybody amen me on that? Like that, it's like, it's like we are the, he says we are the most emotionally unstable people in the history of the world. And a lot of it has to do with social media, a constant 24-7 news cycle, what's being pumped out, all the pressures of the world. It's not just that you've got to deal with the issues of your family. You've got to deal with the issues of things going on in other nations. You've got to deal with the issues of, 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 of shootings in other states. You have to hear all of these things all at once and learn how to process it. And even in the church world, you know, pastors are talking about the fact that they have to respond to every single thing that happens in the world. That's one of the reasons I don't like watching the news much. I don't want to respond to every single thing that happens in the world. I ain't got time for that. Amen. And that just brings anxiety. But here's what he says is what happens. It's this cycle of anxiety is that no matter the things that happen in your life, it could be a local 
local pressure, it could be a, a, a global pressure, but a pressure comes, somebody aggravates you, uh, something goes wrong in your home, something goes wrong with your child, and number one, it's, it's not responding, it's not thoughtfully responding, but it is reacting based on how everyone else is reacting. So we just shoot off immediately into reacting with anger, outrage, fear, whatever it may be to try to control the situation. And so we react and immediately move into a hurting instinct. So basically, whatever anybody else is doing or whatever my influencers are or whoever it is that I follow in news media or Instagram or whatever, that's who I'm jumping on the bandwagon with. I'm not going to thoughtfully discern how I should respond. I'm just going to jump in and say and do what everybody else is saying and doing. Amen. So we move into the herd instinct and then we move into blame displacement because God forbid I should actually search my own heart and see what's going on on the inside of myself and where I could get better and what God is causing me to change in my life. Amen. So what happens is it's just way easier to get angry, to jump on, on board with everybody else, and then to point the finger at somebody else and say, well, it's their fault, it's their fault, we're the victim, you're the one that's wrong, I'm right, and just to place blame on everybody else. And what he says is that we move then into a quick fix mentality. And So the problem is this, when we move into blame displacement and quick fix mentality, there's a few things that we miss out on as Christians. Because we want to just move past things, we never actually search our hearts to ask the question, God, what do you want to do in my heart right now? What can you change in me? What needs to happen in my heart? And not only that, because we love quick fixes and we love to just put things behind us, then what, what happens is we never actually develop any perseverance or emotional stability. It's actually because we're so emotionally unhealthy that we freak out and we start to try to find any which way to get a quick fix so that we can move beyond it without ever actually dealing with the deep-rooted issues of our heart. I hope you're hearing me and understanding me this morning. Amen. Because like even, you know, when you talk about people that have disagreements or arguments with one another, when people have those disagreements, they don't want to talk it out. They want to be angry. They want to blame. They don't want to have a conversation. And they certainly don't want to ask, Lord, where am I wrong in this situation? And so what happens is, what's the quickest way that we can fix it, numb ourselves to it, go over it without actually dealing with the deep-rooted issues of our own heart so that we can become a better person and more Christ-like in this situation? And then he says, here's the problem. Once you go through all of that, you, you're faced with a lack of well-differentiated leadership. Now, what does this mean? Y'all are like, man, this is a little bit heavy, Clay. This is above me right now. Next week, I'm going I'm to I'm chill everything out, make it real surface level. But, but here's the thing, a lack of well-differentiated leadership means that everybody's sort of in this chaotic world of reactivity and all of these things are going on. And what happens is the leaders, now let me tell you this, you are a leader whether you like it or not. You're a Christian person, you're, you're, you parents are leaders in your home, and sometimes in the home it can get wild, can it? Everybody starts getting loud, the kids are loud, and if you're not well-differentiated, that chaos actually bleeds into you and you respond with chaos. You can't differentiate yourself from what's happening in front of you because we have something in our brain called mirror neurons. It's like when somebody yawns, what do you want to do? You want to yawn. When somebody smiles at you, I'll be out in public, mad as fire, at Walmart, and a, and, a, and a woman will smile at me, and I'll go, <laughs> it's mirror neurons. You know what I'm saying? You want to do what the people around you are doing and it feels like it bleeds off on you. And if you're not well differentiated, you can go to work and get in the middle of gossip and hatred and negative talk and you start doing the same thing. Why? Because you're not well differentiated. 
And you can't inject into that to say, look, let me, let me talk to you about a different angle here. And bring peace into the situation, bring wisdom into the situation, bring kindness and goodness and the Word of God into the situation because you are overwhelmed and you're not well differentiated. You can't say, I see that you're angry, I see that you're upset, I see that these things are going on, but that doesn't have to be the way that I am and the way that I respond. Now, this is better preaching than y'all shouting this morning. Because if you can learn this, if this can become a part of your life. So like sometimes I'll notice when things are happening around me, I, I start to feel my emotions getting out and I want to get involved. In it. But then I have to step aside and say, no, 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 no. Lord, how do I respond to this faithfully? And how do I inject the peace of God without placing blame or taking sides? And how do I inject the peace of God and the wisdom of God into this situation so that we can bring healthy growth and at the end of the day, all of us can make a change. All of us can see, God, what is it that you're trying to do in our hearts? And so we have these things that are going on. Now, we're going to face multiple challenges. And so he said in the Old Testament, if you look, there are examples. In the New Testament, if you look, there are examples. And sometimes you had leaders, guess what? They struggled with being well differentiated they let the circumstances around them get a hold of them and shape them in a direction apart from the the plan that God had for them as leaders so let me let me walk you through a few got a few things here because we face a couple of challenges one of the challenges that we face is in our homes in our workplaces and even in the church a failure to lead a failure to lead in a healthy way. Now, Peter is the first one that I want to show for you. Now, Peter, the issues that he dealt with, we talked last week about the dynamics of discouragement. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that again. But what he faced was, was so, some momentum dynamics because on the outside, it looked like Peter was doing well. I don't know if you read much about Peter. But it looked like he was doing really well because when Jesus came to him, he says, who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, some of, you, some of them say that you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, maybe you're John the Baptist. Uh, but, but, but he said, but who do you say that I am? He said, well, I say that you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He had a pure revelation, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. This is a revelation straight from my heavenly Father from heaven. And, you know, I bet at that time Peter was like, that's right, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I mean... You know, I've got this thing figured out, Jesus. You're going to quickly find out that I should be in charge of this whole thing. <laughs> and uh, not only that, but here pretty soon you're going to call me the rock. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Like Dwayne Johnson. And we're going to have the same name. And, and so, but, but Peter's in that situation. He's got all the momentum going his way. And as soon as he says that stuff, Jesus says, you know what? Here's some things that's going to happen. I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of the Pharisees, and I'm going to have to be killed and be raised again on the third day. Peter takes him aside because he's got momentum. And he says, Lord, and he rebukes him. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. You can't do that. And you know what Jesus responds? He goes from telling him that he had a revelation from the Father that flesh and blood did not re reveal to calling him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you think about things and set your mind on the things of men and not the things of God. And he says, you are a hindrance to me. And I'm blown away by that because, how, you, know, you, know, you know, you can have momentum. You can be in a small group. You can be preaching the God. You can have momentum and get in a place of leadership where people look up to you that actually makes you look a whole lot better than you actually are. 
Somebody amen me. You know what I'm saying? You're looking a whole lot better than you actually are. Why? Because you have had a revelation from God, but you've not yet processed that revelation in your heart to the degree that it will impact others, and you're actually hearing from God in the next move. Because this happened to Peter over and over again. If you remember, Peter makes the bold, the bold declaration. He says, Lord, I'll never leave. If everybody else fails you and leaves you, I'll never leave you. And then Jesus said, you know what? Tonight you're going to deny me three times. And even after Jesus prepped him, because of the pressure of people around him and the fear of possibly being crucified as well he was not well differentiated and as soon as one little girl said Peter I thought I saw you over there with that dude he said no 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 you didn't see me with that dude he was not well differentiated he denied Jesus three times well then Jesus restores him and he's back on track. He's back in the ministry. He's filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Preaches and 3,000 people are saved. He's doing well. Got momentum again. He's like, oh, all right, we're back in it. And then all of a sudden, you read in Galatians 1 that Peter has had this revelation where literally he's sitting on a roof eating, thinking about eating a ham sandwich even though he can't at that time eat ham because of Jews' dietary laws. God drops a curtain down out of the sky all over the animals and says, I've cleansed everything, so no longer call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. And so he's changing dietary laws and restrictions, but he's also saying now this gospel doesn't just go to Jewish people. This goes to the Gentiles. He goes and preaches to Cornelius, who is an Italian Gentile household. The Spirit of God falls on them. They're saved, and he's like, oh man, okay, this thing is going out to everybody, indiscriminate of what nation they come from or whatever. He gets that revelation, and you know what? When Paul goes up to Jerusalem, he finds that Peter is no longer eating with the Gentiles because of the pressure of the Jews around him. And Paul said, you know what? I rebuked him to his face because he stood condemned. He's not well differentiated. He's allowing the pressure of the people around him to reveal who he truly is. And he's not yet well differentiated. So this is a failure to lead. Now the second person that I want to show you is Elijah. And we talked about Elijah last week. And so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But do you remember Elijah? Talk about, talk about a guy, man, that is bold. I told you, like he eats nails for breakfast. He's got a big E on his chest. I think he's a superhero. He's caught up into the heavens at the end of his life. He doesn't even physically die. Chariots of fire escort him into heaven. The man starts his ministry, he just shows up on the scene and says, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but you've been worshiping other gods. I'm shutting the heavens up today. It's not going to rain except at my command. He shuts the heavens for three and a half years. He goes to a widow's house, supernaturally provides for them miraculously. Her boy dies, he raises him from the dead, and then he shows up and he has the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he calls down fire out of heaven, causing them all to bow down and say, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And he slays 450 prophets of Baal, wins a great victory. I mean, he is walking in miraculous supernatural power. And all of a sudden, one woman named Jezebel says, you know what, I'm going to kill you just like you did those prophets. And that one voice so discouraged him that he went and hid in a cave and said God I'd rather die it's because you can even have momentum but when you're not well differentiated there sometimes can be one voice in your life that totally deters you from what it is that God is calling you to do I said this last week I want to say it again how many of you you know you might even have it just right out now in your life you'll be doing good and all it takes is one person one voice to say one thing and it totally discourages you and deters you from what God is calling you to do in this moment. Yeah. One voice. Discouragement dynamics. So the third one, if you put it up, 
is Aaron. Now, Aaron dealt with uncertainty dynamics because this is a guy, he is, he's the leader, right? You got Moses and you got Aaron, his right-hand man. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God, and he's gone 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's gone 40 days, all right, he's gone just a little bit over a month. They know he's up there hearing from God, and the people are so anxious that they say, you know what, we don't know where Moses is at. We don't know if he's coming back. we got to have a God to worship. And so you know what Aaron does? He goes into what? Quick fix mentality. i got to shut these people up. i got to figure out a way to get it by. And so because he's in uncertain times and he doesn't know what's happening next, people struggle with uncertainty, don't they? If you don't tell me where I'm going, where I'm headed, what, what direction we're moving, then I, I don't know what to do. And so he, he moves into the quick fix mentality and the pressure of the people. He jumps in with the herd. He says, give me all your gold jewelry. He fashions a golden calf and says, these be your gods whom you can worship. Because when you are uncertain, man, you can move into all kinds of different situations that are ungodly. This is why we must have a fresh vision from God. God, what do you have for my life? What do you have for my children's life? What do you have for the life of this church where are you taking us we need to be sure in our hearts where we're going with jesus amen otherwise we might have a failure to lead you got to be you're the one that are leading your children and leading your family and so you have to pay attention to that the second challenge that we face is sometimes we step into a place where we have a failure to love now love gets refined in challenges can i say this to you leadership is not real leadership unless it works in hard times Love is not real love unless it works against your enemies. Amen. That's, I mean, that's, that's real simple, but it's still better than y'all are shouting, right? So love, in order to actually be love, and this is what Jesus said. He said, if you love those people who love you, he's like, what's that? That ain't nothing. You love the people that are good to you. You love the people that buy you Christmas gifts and never say anything negative to you. Wow. Impressive. But can you actually love people who aggravate the fire out of you? Can you actually love people who are so negative and so hurtful and demean you and criticize you and maybe even hate you and consider you an enemy? He says when that is tested, that's when real love is forged and that's when it's purified and comes to the surface. And sometimes we face a failure to love in these situations. Now Moses, I talked about him last week as well, but Mo Moses faced criticism dynamics and this guy was a man of love. I believe that God was happy to call Moses into the situation and he's developing him as a a leader and you remember I told you last week that Moses ends up coming down off the mountain after they start to worship the golden calf Moses goes before the Lord and the Lord is upset I don't know if you know this or not but the Lord gets upset when you worship other gods amen he knows it'll destroy you that's why and so Moses goes up he says Lord they're down there worshiping these calves acting a fool I don't know what to do the Lord says you know what Moses step aside I'm going to wipe them out we're going to start this thing over. You know what, Mo, that's what I'd have done too if I was the Lord. <laughs> but I think that the Lord, you know, the Lord has perfect foreknowledge. He knows what's going on. But I do think that the Lord was ultimately testing his heart because, you, you know, you can interpret that at the end of that scripture. It actually says the Lord relented. Some translations say he changed his mind. But why did he do it? Because he's inviting Moses into a position where he can actually become more like him. And so Moses says, Lord, no, 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 far be it from you. You called these people out. This is about the glory of your name. If you destroy them now, they're going to say, well, that God ain't no kind of God. And so he said, if you're going to blot them out, he said, blot my name out too. I'm standing in the gap, God. 
He stood in the gap for complaining, aggravating, criticizing people that really probably deserve the judgment of God. But Moses said, no, no, Lord, I think, I think we can still take them into the promised land. And God says, man, that is a guy right there that I got that can lead. And so he says, you know what, all right, that's fine. And then he ends up even going further and saying, well, all right, I won't go with you, but I'll send my angel with you. You know what Moses said? Moses says, if, we, if you don't go with us, Lord, then don't take us up. And he said, all right, this is a guy who can really lead. It ain't about the promised land, it's about my presence. And so Moses' heart is changing, and he's becoming a man that can lead the people. But most importantly, he's becoming a man that can lead the people from a, from a place of deep love. He's interceding for the people. But guess what? Year after year after year, what they do more than anything is they complain, and they grumble, and they criticize. And everything that he does, they're criticizing it. They're grumbling. They're complaining. And year after year, you know, he's taking it. He's doing well with it. But all of a sudden, it's like finally it just broke him down down like a thousand paper cuts he finally couldn't take anymore and he reacted to the people in anger and rage called them rebels and disobeyed God because of how he misrepresented them to the people and he didn't represent God as merciful anymore he became the accusers of the very people that he interceded for before his heart changed you know ministry or even just dealing with people long term this is why some people get church hurt all the time you know, we talk about church. I, get, I understand that you get hurt in church. I've been hurt in church. People in church have said terrible things about me. But you never grow as an individual when you fail to lead and you fail to love because hurt in church or anywhere else in life, let me tell you something. Let me give you It's going to happen. So prepare yourself for it. And it's going to happen, but get this. God is actually going to use it to make you more like Him. It is a test on whether or not you will allow that to saturate your soul in bitterness and you'll receive those criticisms and just say, forget that, I hate people. Yeah, yeah. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been there, that's me. And he's saying, no, 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 I've got to put that to the test because I've got to dig that out of you. And so the question is, how, are you, how do you handle criticism, negativity, complaining, when people don't trust you or they hurt you, do you forgive them? See, this is always a test. Your love is always going to be tested by God. Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to overlook offense? Are you willing to do the hard work of uprooting issues in your own heart and going to somebody and having a hard conversation in order to bring peace? So that love is always going to be tested. And when we fail to love, it costs us our credibility as the church. Because you know the one thing that Jesus said people are going to know you're, you're his disciples by? Because you meet on Sunday. No, no, no. It's because you love one another. It's because you love one another. That's how you're going to know. So the, se the, the second one on failure to love is this guy Demas. I told you about him last week, and this is disappointment dynamics. But Paul said about Demas something interesting. He said, Demas has forsaken, forsaken me having loved this present world. Now, if you, look, if you look at Demas, he really wasn't actually a bad guy. Some scholars and historians say that Demas actually stayed in the ministry and continued to preach the gospel. It wasn't that Demas was a bad guy. It's just that he wanted things easy, and he dealt with some disappointment because things didn't go the way that he wanted. For him to support 
Paul meant that the Roman Empire was going to be against him because he became an enemy of the state by being associated with Paul. He failed to love Paul, which was a part of his calling in God. And he said, you know what, Paul, I I love you, bro, but I'm going to do gospel ministry somewhere else where it's not so hard, and I'm going to break my association with you. That way, if I go somewhere else, maybe I can preach in a way where other people like me. Amen. Because sometimes you get into a church or you get into a situation or you get into a place at work and you're just like, God, I prayed for something way different than this. Has anybody ever been there? God, I prayed that everything would be flawless and everything would work out perfectly and this ain't perfect, God. Did you not hear my prayer? No, no, no. He heard your prayer, but what he knows is you got some things in your heart that need to be shaved off. So he's put you in a situation where even though you're deeply disappointed on how things are working out, what you need to be asking is, God, why have you got me here? Because I believe if you've got me here, you're just wanting to do something in my heart. But you've got to ask yourself, where has bitterness crept in? Where has these things crept into your heart? And you've just wanted to escape what God is actually calling you to do because it's just too hard. It's just too difficult. I don't want to talk to those people. I don't want to have to deal with that. That's ridiculous. They shouldn't have acted that way. Like you, all of the, amen, do we not do this? Every single one of us, we do this. I've been there a hundred times, and I just want to escape and go somewhere else. I'm looking for another job. I'm putting in applications. You know what I'm talking about? Trying to figure something else out because I want to escape just like Demas because I'm disappointed in what's going on. And lastly, in our failure to love, here's one that he gets a really, really, really bad rap, and rightfully so. But Judas, and he dealt with disillusionment. Now, it's interesting to think about because Judas was probably a decent guy, but he had, he had a certain expectation, and the pressure of the people around him caused him to go into, go to, into a certain mind, mindset. Now, a lot of people will say Judas Iscariot was his last name. Isari was a word that meant people of the dagger. So what they thought that Judas Iscariot was is that he came from a family line and from a group of people in an organization that was trying to raise a coup against the Roman government because they ultimately wanted to overthrow the Roman government. So Judas is excited because he thinks this guy is the Messiah, but he also thinks that this Messiah is going to overthrow the Roman government and push his plans to the forefront. But when he gets to the end and he starts hearing all this talk about dying and and, and all of this different stuff, all of a sudden he recognizes this guy ain't going to do what I want him to do, so at least I can make a little bit of money while I'm at it. He's going to die anyway. So why shouldn't I make a little money and a little profit off of it while I'm at it? Because I'm disillusioned with this whole thing. He's not even going to overthrow the government, and I've still got work to do. So out of his disillusionment, he goes and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But then he recognizes, you know what, I failed to do exactly what I'm called to do. Because you know what, you can sometimes get disillusioned by Jesus. He doesn't necessarily meet your picture of Jesus that you wanted. He doesn't do exactly what you wanted him to do the way you wanted him to do when you wanted him to do it. And so you get disillusioned. And in some sense, you betray him. You turn your life away in different areas. But we deal with all of these things, and you've got to ask yourself, when we're criticized, when we're disappointed, when we're disillusioned, bitterness and accusation can creep in against the very people that we're called to love and we're called to serve. And you've got to ask yourself, where where have I failed to love the people around me that I'm actually called to serve? Where has bitterness crept in? Who are those people that I'm currently like deeply frustrated and aggravated at? And where have I been angry or disappointed in God? 
Because some of you are there. Some, some of you get that way. I talk to people on a regular basis. Well, if, if, I, if you want me to be honest with you, Clay, I'm, just, I'm angry at God. I'm disappointed. I don't feel like he handled this the way that he should. He could have stopped this, and he didn't. And you have to learn how to process those disappointments because, like I said last week, we don't really have a theology in America for how to deal with our deepest disappointments because we, 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 we mainly expect God to bring the breakthrough all the time. But see, if we don't learn how to process our disappointment and our disillusionment, we can get bitter, and all of a sudden we're robbed of the call of God on our lives, and we start to move in a different direction. Amen? So let's talk about this for a minute, because differentiation, it talks about we don't have a well-differentiated leader. So what does that even mean? These guys struggle with differentiation. When people put pressure on them, they buckled, they folded, they went with the herd mentality, they went into a quick fix, they blamed somebody else. All of these things are happening in their lives. But differentiation is, is basically this. It's the ability to remain connected to people while maintaining a strong sense of self and identity in God without others' pressure or disapproval moving you. You know, the culture of a, of, of a church, sometimes the loudest people in the room or the loudest people in the church or the loudest people in the organization push the culture that direction. You know what I'm saying? And so he's saying, you, you, you're still connected relationally to these people, but you're so deeply rooted in God and you have such a strong sense of self that they're negativity or whatever else they're bringing upon you, it don't change you because you're, you're rooted. You're rooted in God. But here's, here's some other types of differentiation that we got to look at. Selfish differentiation is just this. You know what? You can bring me your ideas. I don't give a rip what you think. I'm differentiated. I'm separate from you. That's selfish differentiation. I don't care. I don't care what you think. So you can come and tell me what you think. I don't care. Amen. Y'all are, yeah, that's me. Amen. Thanks, Clay. Selfish There's psychotic differentiation, they say. And this is that not only do you not care what people think, but you're willing to run them over to get your way. You have no compassion, no care, no concern for what other people think. See, Moses, in the beginning, he had compassion, he had care, he had concern for what other people think, even though they complained and were negative and in the wrong most of the time, he still sought a way to meet with God and be secure in his own identity to help meet their needs. So what he had in the beginning was something called godly differentiation, and this is a strong connection with God and a strong sense of self that enables you to deal with what's in front of you in a healthy way so that when challenges come, you don't get caught up in the chaos. You can respond with peace. You can respond with wisdom. You can respond with love, and you actually care about what the other person thinks, even if it is crazy and wrong. Man, that's healthy living. You know who it sounds a lot like? Jesus. It sounds a whole lot like Jesus. And this is what he's saying. Jesus dealt with people every day who were morons. I mean, they really, you're talking about the Son of God who has perfect intellectual ability and everybody he was around every single day was wrong. That's a fact. But yet he dealt with them in love. He responded to them the way that he did. He was well differentiated. He never buckled under the pressure that they brought against him. He remained who he was. He remained true to himself. And see, that's why, number one, if you have godly differentiation, you have got to have a rooted identity. Rooted identity. An orphan spirit or an orphan identity is somebody who's always questioning who they are. 
They don't know who they are, so they're seeking affirmation from the world. They're seeking affirmation from other people. They're trying to get affirmation in their job, in their workplace, in doing this. Well, maybe if I do this, people will affirm me, and I'll know who I am in my identity. That's an orphan spirit. You're trying to earn something that God gives you a title of as soon as you get saved. He says, you are my child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And then you work from that identity. That rooted identity is the place where I know who God has called me to be and I know who He says He am, says I am. So if you don't like me or those things, like I'm going to listen to it because maybe you have something to say to me that will actually challenge me to help me become more like Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's not going to shake me that much because I know who God has said that I am. And I'm not looking for you to affirm me or tell me who I am. I'm not looking for you to say good job all the time so that I don't stay depressed because God the Father has already told me good job. He's already said, son, I love you. And I, you don't need the applause of everybody else around you because you're rooted in your identity in me. And now you can allow God to love you so that you can effectively love others. You're chosen. You're forgiven. You're royalty. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're established in this thing. I know God has called me, so when I have these other voices that come, they affect me, but I can go back to the voice of my Father, and I can find this. When you're criticized, you're critiqued, you're challenged, you have pressures from various sources, it's very hard to be secure, and the loudest voice in your life has got to be the Father's voice. This means you've got to have a deep relationship with the Father. The loudest voice in your life has got to be the Father's voice. It's really interesting in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus is... They say that everything changes in John chapter 11 in the book. So he, out of his love for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus, he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And because out of his love he raises Lazarus from the dead... At that point, he faces his greatest rejection. All the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody else, they, they basically begin immediately to reject him publicly, and then it says they conspire on how they're going to kill him. And he knows that. And it says that he went to a little place in the wilderness with his disciples. And if you look deeply into it, you know where he went? He went back to the wilderness, back to the place where he was first baptized by John the Baptist, where he heard the voice of his father, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was facing his greatest rejection, his pressure to quit doing what he was doing. And you know what he did? He said, you know what? I've got to prepare for what I'm about to face. I'm going back to where I heard my father's voice for the first time. And he heard his father's voice once again. He's refreshed and he's renewed and he's differentiated. He hears the criticisms. He hears the fact that they want him dead. But he says, I'm going to face this head on with wisdom, with power, and with love, and with mercy, and with grace. And I'm carrying the cross all the way for the joy that is set before me because I see beyond this because I know who I am in God. I know who the Father has called me to be and I'm rooted in my identity and I don't care what you say, I don't care what threats you bring, I don't care the criticisms that you throw at me. I'm going to do what God the Father has called me to do because my identity is rooted. And this really ties into the second one, which is upward call. And this is just the fact that, you know what, at some point you have got to come to a place where you set aside your past. Just like Paul said, you know what, I'm moving, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm moving toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm not who I used to be, and I'm living for an audience of one. I'm not living for worldly recognition or fame anymore. I'm not living for pats on the back. 
I could get as many pats on the back, Paul said, as anybody because of my pedigree and where I came from. But that's not what I'm living for. He said, I want to know Christ, and I'm pursuing that upward call. I'm doing this for one person and one person alone. When you, when you decide you're going to serve God in your workplace, in your family, let me tell you something. There may be a lot of resistance whenever you really push into it, but you're not doing it for anybody else besides the Lord first. The Lord first. The upward call. Now the third one, this is a, a goofy word, but I came across it recently. Kaizen attitude. Now, if, like, if you work at to the Toyota plant, I don't know if anybody's ever worked there before, but they have something called the, the Kaizen model of continuous growth and development. Kaizen is a Japanese word for continuous improvement. And this is what the Lord has really been dealing with me about, is that when somebody comes, or you, when you face a challenge that seems like you don't want to do it, or it's hard, or maybe even somebody criticizes you and you think that, critic that criticism is just stupid. Can I tell you this? There's a place where God will use that to improve you in your life. Either how you respond to that person in love, or maybe there's something you actually need to change. And so in order to have, be, have godly differentiation, it, it, it shouldn't bother me too much when I receive a critique. It shouldn't bother me too much when I receive a criticism. There may be an element of truth that God is allowing to come at me so that I can make necessary changes to be more like Jesus. Amen. I always got room for improvement. I stink. And there's a lot of growth to be, be made if I'm going to become more like Jesus. Amen. So the last one is intentional spiritual practices and rhythms. And I'm kind, of, I'm kind of, we're finishing this up here now. But intentional spiritual practices and rhythms. So, so there's another guy that came up with a cycle to go against what, um, if you put that, put that next slide up for me there. But this is the way of Jesus, the counter cycle to that cycle of anxiety. He says, one, you've got to figure out not to re react, but to slow down your life a little bit. Because our world is geared by Satan himself to be so high strung and so fast and so quick that we don't even know how to slow down a, a moment to hear from God anymore. And then he says you've got to take a Sabbath rest where you can be alone with God, you can retreat with God to hear the Father's voice. You learn practices of prayer and fasting and spending time with the Lord. And then you have this word here, if you're in small groups, you probably learned it either this week or the last week, koinonia, amen. Somebody, it's a good one. But what that is, is fellowship. It means that you've got healthy relationships with people. Some people can correct you. Some people can call you out. Some people can encourage you and love on you. But you have deep, connected, vulnerable relationships where you're even, get this, open to being wounded. You're open to being wounded. And you're open to forgiving. And you're open to spiritual growth because you're wrestling with all these things. And then he says, and you move into a place of contemplative prayer where you slow down long enough to spend some quiet time with God and where you can reset these things, then you start to know who you are in God. And then he says, lastly, you move into that place of being well differentiated where you know who you are, you, know, you see what's in front of you, but you know how to respond in a godly way. Amen? Amen. So here's my last four little points, and I'm going to finish. But, but here's the thing that I've been wrestling with, too, as well. These, these are, now, I don't know about you. I don't know if this helps you or not. Maybe you let me know later. But this is something that I have been personally battling with, becoming well differentiated so that I can respond to people in love. Because I have to learn this. I have to learn how to go through difficult, challenging situations and not get caught up in the same, same things and patterns of behavior and responses that these men that were given for us as examples were. I want to go the long haul. I don't know about you. 
I want to live for Jesus and at the end him say, well done, you didn't blow it in the end. Cultivating godly resolve, number one, filling of the Spirit. I I believe that the Bible teaches that there's one baptism in the Spirit and there's many in fillings. That's what I believe. I don't know what you believe, but I believe that we are progressively needing the empowerment and filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 Paul or Peter, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. He's confronted in Acts chapter 5 by a bunch of religious people, and that pressure's coming in on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit once again to be boldly indifferent and speak the word that he needs to speak at that time under the pressure of people. So what I'm saying is, is you need to go to God and say, God, I need to be filled with the Spirit. And then the next day, you need to go to God and say, God, I need a fresh infilling of the Spirit. And then the next day, God, I got some challenges today, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak the right words at the right time that I know how to speak. I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And God, this person is aggravating me, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated. I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, and I need love to be manifested in my life. And we increase our capacity to be filled with the Spirit when we put those intentional practices and rhythms in our life when we become men and women of prayer when we get alone with God when we spend time with Him we're basically opening ourselves up to say God I need to be filled with the Spirit of God and not the Spirit of this world you need to empty yourself out of the Spirit of this world I'm looking forward actually to the beginning of the year because we're going to enter into a time of prayer and fasting again And everybody gets excited about that. But I'm telling you, man, the thing about it is the reason we need practices like that is because you've got to dump that garbage out of your life in order to create room and capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You remember David, whenever everything was taken from him, his family was taken from him, all of his buddies wanted to kill him. (laughs) Bad day. Like, let's kill David, let's stone him. All of our wives and children are gone. We lost all of our stuff. He said he, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, part of that is, is very spiritual in the sense that you figure out ways to learn how to pray, to learn how to get in God's Word, to worship in private, to praise God in private, to receive strength from the Lord. But, you know, what I found out even, too, is, is there, there are things, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe it's some of you in here, maybe you hunt, Maybe you fish, and I'm talking about in healthy, rhythmic ways. Maybe you ride a motorcycle. Some of you like to crochet. Maybe you like to take a walk outside. I had to take up golfing again just to get my mind relaxed. You know what I'm talking about? Like there are things that God has given us, hobbies of enjoyment, where we can disconnect from the pressures of this world and just enjoy what God has given us. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. Somebody said, amen, praise God. He's, let, he's letting us, he's letting us, you know. Because you can get real, legalist, real legalistic about that stuff, man. Enjoy your life and bring God into it. And, and when you're out, when you're, when you're watching a game or you're, or you're taking a walk or whatever it is that you do to chill out, invite God into that. Say, Lord, thank you for this time of enjoyment, to disconnect to just enjoy the gifts that you've given us. Number three is the gaze of the soul. What are you currently, what's your heart looking at? Where's where's the gaze of your soul? Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, it says this. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, see, here's the issue. Sometimes what I do and you do is we grow weary 
and we lose heart and we want to give up. Things don't go the way we wanted. Things don't happen the way we thought they should have happened. We grow weary. We lose heart. We want to give up. He says, but no, no, no. If you realize that somebody is up there in the process of perfecting your faith, he's growing you. You're going through this for a purpose. He says, therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus and remember how he went to the cross because he saw the joy on the other side of it. You're going to go through difficulty. He said, consider him who endured such opposition. You think, well, man, I'm getting opposed. Consider him who endured so much opposition. Anything you do worth uh, valuable in this life, you're going to face opposition either from the devil or the devil working through people. And he says, consider him so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep the gaze of your soul there. And here's my last one. This is a good Christmas reference, my very last one. you got to have Grinch heart growth. I don't know if you remember the Grinch, but the dude, his heart grew three sizes that day. And it said something about because the meaning of Christmas came through, he found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. That's powerful this morning. I don't know where you all are at. But, but here's the thing, if, if I'm going to actually do what God has called me to do, here's what I found out, my heart ain't near big enough. My heart is not big enough. I've not yet reached the place where I love people the way God has called me to love people. And I need, I need Him to grow my heart. I need Him so badly to grow my heart if I'm going to be able to do what He's called me to do because I am not there yet. And I'm confessing that before you all because that's, as a church and as a people and as followers of Jesus, we got to say, God, grow our hearts. We don't yet love people the way. If, if we really love people the way that you did, God, we'd be, we'd, be, we'd be more adamant about reaching the people outside of these walls. We'd be more adamant about encouraging our brothers and sisters. We wouldn't let so many little, little grievous things crop up and let us get bitter and turn our hearts toward it. God, we've got to have a bigger heart. See, this is what Hebrews 12, 15 says. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled is there a root of bitterness that's cropped up in your heart for whatever reason that's allowing defilement in your own heart Colossians 3 12 through 14 it says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The cross is what love looks like. And love is difficult. I'm going to give you one last quote here. It's from Fyodor Dostoevsky, alright? He says this, he says, Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love and dreams. Love and dreams is greedy for immediate action, rapidly performed in the sight of all. Men will even give their lives if only the ordeal does not last long but is soon over, with all looking on and applauding as though on stage. But active love is labor and fortitude. And what he's saying is, love and dreams, what we want to do is I want to go out and be able to do an act of love and it get an immediate response and everybody say, wow, Clay, you're such a loving guy. And then it lasts about three seconds so that it costs me nothing. It's no sacrifice. And then I say, man, God, I'm a loving guy. But he says, no, 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 real love ain't like that. 
Real love is fortitude. Real love is labor. Real love is patience. Real love is going to the cross and carrying that thing when it's so heavy over and over again while everybody around you is mocking you and ridiculing you. That's real love. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want you to consider that love that Jesus had for you right here in just this moment. Because it's that love that is going to strengthen you to do whatever it is that God has called you to do in this life. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This morning, if you are not following Jesus, but yet you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you and saying, now's the time, now's the time to follow him. Just between me, you, and God, I want to give you an opportunity just to, just to take a step of faith and say, that's me, I want to follow Jesus. I need, I need salvation. Would you just raise your hand, me, you, and God, right here to witness it? Anybody in the house? Anybody at all? Well, thank God. For the rest of us, we just need to ask the Lord, God, give us that strength that we need. We don't want to grow weary or lose heart, but we need your spirit to come and reassure us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, to remind us, God, of where you went for us and how you died for us on the cross. We thank you for that forgiveness and that life that you gave. But God, we're asking you this morning to move in our own hearts, to strengthen us, to accomplish exactly what you're asking us to do. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you move in each heart. Give each person a chance to respond right here, God, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We're going to worship. This altar is open. Listen, if you, if you need prayer for anything, as always, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you want to take some time to pray right there at your seat. But just let's take a moment here just to respond to the Lord.